Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 2nd, 2016. This morning, A Vision for You presents When the Spiritual Malady is Overcome. All of us have come to this program, Overeaters Anonymous, as a result of the constant frustration, defeat, and suffering we experienced compulsively overeating. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening. Their real advantage is that they are a specific method for producing a personal transformation sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. It is a change in the way a person thinks, feels, and behaves. The secret of these steps is that in spite of all odds, it is possible to effectuate such dramatic change in our personality, character, and values. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. Here to speak about when the spiritual malady is overcome is Michelle H., a recovered compulsive overeater from Missouri. Michelle is dedicated to our 12-step way of life and to carrying this message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Michelle. Well, thank you, Leah. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your service. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Um, my, my name is Michelle H., and I'm a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater from Missouri. Um, I'm really grateful this morning to be able to share my story, and um, and I pray that um, um, I may set aside my ego so that my higher power, whom I call God, may speak through me so that I may share something that will be helpful to those who are listening on the line today or listening to the recording I pray God help me to remember that my only aim is to be helpful. And um, I I especially feel grateful this morning, um, October the 2nd. Um, October is my birthday month in OA, and um, I'm nearing six years as a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God. And uh, I keep coming back um, today because I know that I'm not cured. I'm grateful to know that I'm not cured and that I need you and that I do not recover in isolation. I'm, I've learned um, that we need each other to recover. And uh, I first came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1996, and I stayed about a year, left leaving in 1997, <clears throat> because I was looking for a weight loss program. And at that time, my weight was about 125 pounds, and I was, I am five foot two and a half. And I knew that I couldn't stop eating once I started. I didn't know why my weight wasn't blossoming like the other members, but I knew I was a compulsive overeater and I couldn't stop once I got started. But at that time, the focus in OA seemed to be on um, all about achieving a healthy weight. And so I ended up leaving OA because others thought that I was doing well in the program. I left because I knew I wasn't doing well. And... I felt I was being judged by how I was looking on the outside, and I I didn't know how to put into words that I wasn't doing okay on the inside. I didn't know that my insides were driving me back to the food. 
I finally came back to Overeaters Anonymous in July of 2005. I was at a weight of over 186 pounds. I say it's over 186 because that was the last time I got on the scale, but my clothes were getting tighter. Um, My life was in a turmoil. I had um, usually been able to lose the weight. Um, I had been a yo-yo dieter ever since the age of about 12. And at the time that I returned to OA, I was just a few weeks from going on vacation with my husband. But my mind was focused on the hope that the vacation would somehow be canceled. And I knew deep down that that was not normal in my thinking because that was to be a dream vacation to go to British Columbia, Canada. And um, we were going to stay with friends, and we were going to see just sites that we'd never seen before. And uh, I couldn't believe it was was becoming a reality, but I didn't want to go. My mind was consumed with my outward appearance and that um, all I could think of was I was going to be judged unfavorably by my husband's family due to my obese body. So I had thought that I would be able to lose the weight if I started in January of that year. Here it was, July. Um, But I could not lose the weight this time. I could not even start the diet. I kept thinking, next week, next week, look at all this time I've got, next week. But next week didn't come this time. I was resistant to asking anyone for help. Um, I was desperate to lose the weight. What motivated me this time to return to OA was actually another book. Um, That was always what I turned to, more self-help books. Um, So I found this book that I thought would have the answer um, for me um, about my addiction to food and sugar. And much to my surprise, the final chapter of that book um, was directing the reader to go to AA if one wanted to be successful. And I did not see that answer coming. I certainly didn't think that OA held the answer for me based on my past experience, but I had identified him with all that the author had written about this food addiction, particularly the sugar. I think I had a small window of feeling so totally desperate, and I believe that grace must have entered into that small opening, and it got me back into the rooms of OA. Now, I'd like to tell you that I, I took step one immediately and utterly abandoned myself to God, Um, I thought I was. I thought I was surrendering to food, but I was actually surrendering to a diet again. Um, I was hearing, you know, those first five years, because I I became recovered um, by the grace of God on October 20th, 2010. And those first five years, looking back, I can see that I still focused on the the main message that I was hearing in the rooms. And um, I believed him. I heard, I heard him say, abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. And, um, and I wanted to get rid of the craziness that was going on in my life. So I, I listened. I surrendered to a diet plan and writing down my food and calling it um, in to a temporary sponsor, even while I was on vacation in Canada. Um, my journey is my journey, and I am grateful for every step as it brought me closer to that total surrender to my higher power. It's not a journey that I wanted, um, but I have not, but I had not yet been beaten into that that state of reasonableness, which, you know, is is part of what happens in step one. Um, And as it states on page 48 in the big book, faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol became the great 
persuader. So um, it took what it took. Um, and I, um, you know, I, I've had the same experiences I hear others on the line um, in a vision for you. When I was desperate enough, I finally surrendered. I don't know why it took the time that it did to get to step one. I can only speculate um, on those reasons. Uh, my mind is finite, finite. My higher power knows all the answers, so I'm speculating that it was because I, I had had periods of controlled eating. Um, the intervals between my periods of abstinence got shorter and shorter. So I was under the delusion that I probably had some control because I, I could actually go for years. And when I came in in 2005, I had two and a half years of abstinence. Um, it, it, was, uh, it didn't settle what was going on in my head, um, but I was abstinent. And, um, and, you know, actually I didn't have much, a whole lot of physical recovery at that time, but, you know, there was, there was some weight loss, and that was encouraging, as always. Um, but, the, you know, finally the intervals got so short that there was no interval. There was no next week, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, Monday morning. The only thing that was there was the pain of that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And so it was then and um, only then did I fully surrender. You know, I admitted my defeat. I became teachable. <clears throat> most of the time. I say most of the time because I remember times working with my sponsor when I, she was taking me through the big book that um, I wanted to argue or rationalize my behaviors, you know, but grateful because this process, this 12-step process of recovery does work um, when it's worked, you know, like Leah said, you know, in the introduction, it really does work. Um, if I just, um, if I stay committed, if I stay on the journey, if I keep, you know, um, following the directions as outlined um, in the big book. I, you know, I came, I came to believe and I do believe today. Um, and um, so, you know, I did find a sponsor, gratefully, who took me through these 12 steps according to the big book. And um, I remember that day um, when the interval was so short, I don't even know if it was 20 minutes where I'd be back in the kitchen pacing. And um, I really thought myself will... Um, could do it again, um, but it was finally, you know, that day, um, that wonderful day, that desperate day when I got on my knees and said, God, I don't know what to do, and I really meant it that time, and fortunately for um, me, there was a blessing of a big book retreat in our area that weekend that was coming up, and God made it possible for me to get there, and I went in with an attitude of, I know nothing, which was different from other times that I'd gone to gone to meetings, um, and I'm grateful for that attitude, that change, um, that feeling of desperation that got me there. It's like, I don't know anything, so I better listen. And I did listen, as um, they say, like um, only the dying can, can listen. Um, and I wanted what they had, and I was willing to, to do and go to any length. Um, and so um, grateful in that, you know, taken through those steps, and um, and the process did work for me, and it was um, of the educational variety. It wasn't a great white light. Um, and so gradually, slowly, coming to believe, coming to be restored, to right thinking, um, to seeing my character defects, not seeing them as assets anymore, and being willing to um, turn them over and ask God for help, and, and to turn to my fellows. If I can hear God speaking through my fellows, 
as well as a meditation, um, a reading and a book, sometimes a song, sometimes even a movie. But I, I'm open to hearing the message where I, I wasn't so open before. And I, I, I did. I did, did start hearing the message, and I did start taking these steps seriously and working them, and my program became a priority for me. I'm so thankful to um, Vision for You uh, phone meeting, and uh, I joined a meeting in 2010 that was very similar um, because I heard this big book coming alive for me in a way that, um, you know, that happened when uh, all of us are on the line and it still happens. That's different than when I'm sitting and reading the big book by myself. And it's even more powerful, even though it was powerful reading it with my sponsor, it's even more powerful. So I'm so grateful for this meeting, and I, I keep coming back to this meeting because of the power that it holds in hearing the message for me each day and keeps me coming back. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful. I was taught that, you know, um, I was scared to sponsor in the beginning and carry the message, but I was taught, you know, it's out of gratitude. So um, practicing that principle and you know, perfectionism is one of my core defects, so I wanted to do it perfectly. And um, um, used to be I thought perfection was an asset, and I see how, you know, it caused, it caused nothing but trouble in my life. And so, you know, taking those risks to um, make a mistake, which I am going to make a mistake, and was reassured by my sponsor that, yes, you're going to make mistakes. Um, I'm not powerful enough to cause anybody any harm, and if I do cause harm, I can make amends which I've learned to do, and I've learned to do with my sponsees as well when I make mistakes. Um, you know, I've also learned from, um, as I, you know, as I've recovered, and, and my sponsor today has, has taught me about the importance of having a network. And boy, when you're a perfectionist and you don't want to be vulnerable, that was a scary prospect for me. But I have found that, you know, because I didn't want you to see me not being perfect, you know, and what, you know, a tenth step I'm sharing you know, my, my true, you know, what's going on with me, that I've made a mistake, and, um, you know, it helps me to see that so it can be cleared away by my loving higher power with the help of my fellows so that I can be, uh, can I can see my true self and be that true self, which is loving and kind and patient, uh, compassionate. And so I'm grateful to have a network of people, a fellow, uh, a fellowship, which I've craved, and um, I just love you guys so much and uh, so grateful for all of you um, and for the phone calls I get and for the phone calls I get to make. Uh, that's truly enriched my life and, and very much a part of this process. And um, I'm grateful today to um, be able to sponsor and to have a network and, and to have a sponsor um, who's shown me the way by shining the light, light for me on my path as I go. And um, what my higher power put in my heart to share with you today was um, about the time when I thought being recovered meant that I should be cured. Um, I remember thinking and asking myself, I guess it was around my first year um, anniversary or second year of anniversary, what could be better than being relieved of this phenomenon of craving and the constant thinking about food? I mean, I had been, I'd been looking for a cure for my weight problem for most of my life, and you know, I didn't think that question was so daunting. I just thought, wow, what could be better than this, right? Um, and so I just want to take you on a little journey. Um, so, you know, I remember being overweight as a child in grade school. I felt, you know, I felt really out of place um, in my family because my, 
my three sisters, and both of my parents were of normal weight. And I remember overhearing a, a relative at a family reunion whispering about why, speculating and wondering why in the heck was Michelle the only fat member of her family. And you know what? I wondered the same thing. Why am I the only fat person in my family? And so at that time I decided there must be something wrong with me, you know, and um, not wrong with my body and mind, but just there's something really wrong with me. Why can't I get it? I remember praying for a thin body and for help to stop eating. Um, I saw that I was different um, from my sisters because they didn't care about food the way I did. I just thought that they had better willpower. I thought that was how they fought off those strong urges to keep eating. I thought everybody had those. So I perceived myself to be weak-willed when it came to food, and the decision I made was that I had to try harder. I had to try harder than anyone else. I had to try harder than my sisters. They'd think it was fair that I had to try harder, but that was just my lot in life. I found that I, I, I would continue to sneak food out of the kitchen pantry. I would ask for a snack when I got home from school, and my mom tried to get me to stop by, by shaming me and telling me that I ate more than my sisters. Or it's too close to supper time. You should be able to wait. And I, all I did was take in the shame because I couldn't wait. So I would sneak the food because I, I couldn't wait. I risked being caught by my mom um, because I knew it would bring more ridicule, more ridicule for not waiting for supper. So I would ask for just a few or a handful, and that seemed to make my mom happy. I was just going to eat a little, but I knew that I would just wait for her to leave the kitchen so I could get more. So I was certainly preoccupied with thoughts of food and how I was going to get more. I was tormented, you know, by my sister's Halloween candy. I'm thinking that's time of year. It seemed to linger in their bags for weeks. It tormented me because the candy called to me. I thought, isn't it calling to you? I would think about them. So I'd usually try to bargain for more of their candy since they didn't seem to want it. Um, I would rationalize my unfair taking advantage of them because I was the older sister and I could come up with ways of manipulating to get it. And they didn't seem to value the sweets as much as I did. They could take it or leave it. That was a mystery to me. I longed to have that kind of an attitude about candy or sugar or foods. So this torment continued no matter how many diets I followed or the amount of weight that I could lose on a diet. But I realized that this torment of wanting to eat more and never be contented never subsided. I kept thinking the weight loss would bring me a new life. I was in search of a happier life, and my belief that I didn't see at the time was that weight loss was the key to happiness. It's amazing how I can be driven by my old beliefs and my attitudes. That was just one of those beliefs that surfaced during my you know, time in recovery. In the last few years of being recovered, God revealed that many of my beliefs are not truths just like that truth, you know, weight loss is not the key to happiness. Um, <clears throat> some of the other truths that came out in doing my step four work has helped me to see that I believed and acted like many of my old ideas and attitudes were true. And I've come to see that many of them are delusions. And more and more keeps being revealed to me. Uh, I see more and more things being uncovered. Like many say, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion so some of my old beliefs were that the world was an unkind place to live, uh, that I was responsible for other people's happiness. How many times did I hear my dad say, you know, your mom's raging and anger is due to you. 
you know, if you just follow the rules, if you just do what she'd say, you know, this wouldn't be happening in our house. So I learned that I was responsible for other people's happiness. I didn't realize how much power that um, my dad was trying to give me and that I actually believed it. Um, Also another false belief that I was not deserving in love unless I was thin. Well, that's what I saw happening, or that was the delusion that I was under. Maybe it was just that I was the oldest and was given a lot of responsibility. But it sure looked like my younger sisters got off a lot easier, and I thought it was because they were thin. I thought it was happening to me because I was overweight. Another uh, false belief, love is earned, and so try harder to gain love and approval of others. No, I'm finding out, you know, from the process of going through these steps that, you know, God loves me just the way I am. And um, God, you know, this process is just chipping away those things that were added on that were not really me, you know, the, the false self that's being untangled and removed and discarded. Another false belief, I need other people to validate me in order to know that I am okay. Another false belief. But that's what I did. I looked to other people for approval and validation, thinking that, you know, the old belief that I'm not enough. And so this brings me to the sentence that seemed to jump out at me when I was seeking God's help in finding a title for my share today. Just, you know how you're reading the big book and it just, you've read it many times, but this time it just jumps out. You're not sure why. And it's from page 64 um, in the big book. And it said, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out physically and mentally. And actually, I had the pleasure of reading this with um, the person I'm guiding through the steps. And um, I believe in that power, you know, when two or more gather together, just like on this meeting. Um, But it just jumped out at me, and it's like, okay, all right, uh, I'll take it. Um, That's really beautiful. Uh, You know, I don't know what you want me to learn from this, but, you know, thank you, higher power. Thank you, God. And, um, you know, I hadn't given much thought to the idea of a spiritual malady uh, until in 2013 um, when I I participated in a workshop. It was a 12-step spiritual workshop. And, um, you know, there's many teachers of the big book, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm grateful for each and every one of them. And um, this big book teacher was talking about the spiritual malady and, you know, saying that, you know, Um, Well, before I say that, I just wanted to say that for me, he answered the question in in his explanation of why I do still at times feel restless, irritable, and discontented, even though I was and am relieved of the phenomenon of craving and that thinking about the food. You know, I no longer think of food or thought of food, you know, in 2013 as my go-to. I don't today. I didn't want the food. Thank you, God. But, you know, these, these, I, so I thought that recovered meant that I would not feel these periods of restlessness, irritability, and discontent at times. I don't know how I got that thought, but I did. And um, that it was revealed to me that was a deep belief that I had, that um, if I was recovered, I wouldn't feel that way. Um, so it was in this workshop that it was explained and that um, I, the message was carried to me that, you know, the spiritual malady is that second part of step one. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, you know, that physical allergy and that mental blank spot. And after the first part, there's a dash. And he said, there's not the word and, but a dash, and then the word unmanageability. 
And I'd always thought that the unmanageability was related solely and only to the food that took me out of the present moment and away from my higher power. Now, I know I do need to be in the present moment where my higher power exists and the food does need to be down. But I learned that the spiritual malady is speaking about the bedevilments and that these bedevilments are describing, you know, the manifestations of my self-centeredness. And this is where I'm not cured. This is where I will find my life being unmanageable um, if I don't continue to work the steps and enlarge my spiritual life. You know, we talk about that and we hear about it, steps 10, 11, and 12. And so I, you know, I embrace this on a daily basis. Um, I am recovered and I am getting better. Um, you know, just like the intervals between, um, you know, my thoughts of thinking about food became shorter and shorter because I was worried. I thought they should go away all at once. And my, my then sponsor said, well, Michelle, are they happening less frequently and with less intensity? And I, I said, yes. And she goes, well, you know, that's part of the process. That's part of the recovery. I thought it should be instantaneous. And I think I've had the same kind of thinking about the spiritual malady, about these bedevilments, that they should just be gone um, once and for all, absolutely, um, even though I know that's not what it says in Step 7, um, that this is a process. But there was that belief. I had it anyway. Um, and this was uncovered for me in this workshop. And um, so, you know, after my first, like I said, after my first year in recovery, being recovered, I would start to ponder the question, how could my life get any better than this? I mean, isn't it wonderful when the miracle happens? Um, and for those of you, it's not yet happened. It will happen. Just keep trusting the process. But it does. It feels like such a miracle. And I just said, how can life get any better than this? Um, I'm no longer a slave to food, and I no longer want the food, even in times of stress and difficult situations. Now, you know, it seemed like a harmless question, but I think my higher power gave me this uh, line on page 64 because he wanted me to look at this question. Um, you know, thankfully, I didn't act on that thought, like, how can my life get better than this? Because if I can start thinking that way, hmm, what might I do? Might I think I have arrived? That's what my higher power was revealing to me as I pondered this this, um, this sentence. Um, like I said, I, I'm thankful that I have, you know, continued to do what um, I have a sponsor in another program in the prayer and meditation we do each morning. She calls her non-negotiables, you know, uh, I know I'm going to get on my knees and say the third step prayer from my heart and do my meditation. And um, these are non-negotiables each day. I like that word. It reminds me how important they are to start my day and to continue to stay in contact. You know, and, and for me, the other non-negotiables are my evening review, the 10 steps, and the privilege of sponsoring others. So I think this question, what my higher power, I believe, was revealing to me was that this question could have been my disease's backdoor entry into meaning. Why are you coming back? Your life is so good. Whoa. You know, how many times in the past had I thought that I had arrived, you know, with a new diet, with the weight loss? Um, so God revealed this to me recently, and I'm learning to watch my words. Today, I know that my life does get better each and every day. Um, I need to improve my conscious contact with my higher power and enlarge my spiritual life, so it is getting better. You know, that's, uh, that's an answer to my question. It does get better than this, Michelle. You never arrive. And I was just thinking, what a sneaky way that my disease has of trying to move me away from the only solution that ever worked for me, a spiritual solution for a spiritual malady. Yes, I, 
you know, food needed to die first. Absolutely. And that's where the focus of my, you know, really my program was. Um, I, it needed to die. I needed to see how it, was no, it wasn't my friend that I thought it was. And, you know, it's okay that I saw food as the problem. How else would I have found this wonderful road to spiritual freedom? Um, that's just the beginning. I'm no longer a slave to food by the grace of God. One day at a time, I ask the God of my understanding for help so that I won't be a slave to my character defects. I heard a big book speaker say that, and I thought, wow, you know, that's so true. He said, you know, it goes beyond, um, he's an AA speaker, and he said it goes beyond sobriety, you know, not drinking. He said, yeah, we're no longer a slave to alcohol, but I could be a slave to my character defects. And I thought, yeah, that's it. You know, that really that really spoke to me. Um, so of this, I am not cured. This keeps me closely connected to my higher power one day at a time, knowing that I'm not cured. Yes, I am recovered, and I'm so grateful that I have more time now um, not be thinking of the food, but I can think of, um, you know, how I'm going to stay connected to God and my fellows and be of service. Um, God did that. God, through the process of these steps, I did not do that. So in the, you know, so in the anniversary month of my OA birthday, I usually reflect back on my spiritual progress. Um, so actually, what a birthday gift for me, um, and I hope maybe it, it helps somebody else on the line. You know, that is my only hope to be of service. It gives me hope that I'm not cured. It means that I have the human condition. It means I need a power greater than myself. Like the big book says, I am beyond human aid. And I'd always looked, you know, to myself and to other humans, not to God. But today I look to God for the answers in everything. And that, that has come about slowly. That, again, did not happen instantaneously. Um, you know, I've often thought to rise above this human condition and old belief, like I said, is that, you know, I'm perfect. Um, and I wanted to strive to be perfect, I think, because I thought that would give me immunity from life. Um, my other sponsor says she wanted immunity from life. And I, I thought, yeah, I wanted immunity from the pain of life. But what an exhausting and unfulfilling it was, it was for me when I tried to be perfect. And I did, you know, remembering back to what my dad said, you know, if you'll just do this better, Michelle, our life here would be better with your mom. She wouldn't rant and rave and scream. So um, I did. I tried to be perfect. But when I tried to be perfect and continued to do that, what it did was disconnect me from people and, most importantly, from God, from God and people. And so I thought I needed no one. You know, I'm supposed to be able to do this. No one told me how to make my mom happy. No one told me how to get her to stop ranting and raving. I was supposed to figure it out by myself. It was just like following the rules. Like, how is a child supposed to know? But I took it on, and I said, yeah, I can do this. And I tried harder and harder, and um, all I did was get disconnected from people, um, feeling more and more like a failure, feeling like I, you know, needed no one. Um, and it all stemmed from old ideas and old attitudes from my childhood that, People couldn't be trusted. The world wasn't a kind place to live in. Thankfully and gratefully that um, coming into these rooms and practicing these steps, um, as directed in the big book, finding a fellowship that's loving and accepting um, to help me see that those old beliefs are delusions. They're not true. They're not true for me today. 
uh, one day at a time. And so more and more has been revealed to me as I continue to try to practice these principles and carry my 12-step work with others in this beautiful program of recovery. My life continues to have have its ups and downs, just like the flow of life, Um, how life flows. I like to think it flows, you know, like a river. Uh, Sometimes there's falls and rapids. Sometimes there's the quiet spaces. But life is unfolding, and I'm learning to trust God each day um, and allow it to unfold without fighting against it or swimming against the current. And I have found that this is a design for living that works in rough going. And it's been my experiences um, over the past almost six years that have given me evidence of a power greater than myself. My experiences have been that when I trust the God of my understanding with my life and my will, I, I'm, I've come to believe that God is working things out for everyone involved in the situation. So it may take a little more time, and I'm learning um, slowly to be more patient because God's working things out for everyone. Um, he has, um, you know, my best interests at heart, and he has everyone's best interests at heart, everyone who's involved in the situation that I'm involved in that may that I might be finding troublesome at the time. And I'm learning that, like, oh, man, what a personal relationship I have with God today. When I came into program, God was distant and far away. Now it's amazing to me that I can call God my best friend. You know, my relationship is getting closer and closer. I didn't do that. The steps, I submitted to the steps, and the steps transformed me um, with, with your help. My higher powers help, too, most importantly, guiding me here, guiding me to this fellowship. So I, you know, I've held on to that when when life gets rough for me and when it got rough for me through my times of being, you know, recovered. You know, my experience when our son was struggling with his own addiction, and there were times when we didn't see him or even hear for him for months at a time. And he was estranged and angry with our family for almost 10 years. My, my, um, it was my, hex, I'm sorry, my connection with a power greater than myself that gave me hope. What food did, it only robbed me of any hope. I was grateful to be recovered and out of the food, connected with my higher power. My son was going through this tough time because it was a tough time for our whole family. I, <clears throat> when I thought that my relationship would, would be ripped apart due to our son's addiction, um, faith and trust helped my husband and I, to ride the storm. There were rocky times. <laughs> we were tossed about. Um, but food would have prevented me from seeing the reality, and the storm would have been raging inside of me as well as on the outside. And so the storm, you know, seemed to be raging, but my higher power had me all the time, and I was really, really in a calm with my higher power, and the storm was raging around us. When I thought our family would remain shattered, and the hope, the hope of a new life materialized so slowly. And I stayed focused on my own recovery, the only person that I could change with the help of God, of my understanding. Today, I have witnessed a wholesale miracle with a change in my acceptance of what is. What a change I can see in myself. It seems like such a long time ago, but, but it's not when I used to rail against an unfair world and fall prey to misery of my own making. You know, God made it possible for me to become willing to express unconditional love in my heart for a son, whether he stopped drinking or not. You know, what a miracle it is to learn to receive that unconditional love from my higher power and then to pass 
that unconditional love along. And, and I needed the process of these steps to see it. I didn't see that I was loving our son unconditionally. I didn't see that I had the condition on him, I will love you if you get sober. And God brought that into my reality and into my vision to see that I was not loving the way God was asking me to love. And so I reached out for help in another program and said, I want to love unconditionally. Will you teach me? I'm willing to learn. And I have learned to do that one day at a time, not perfectly, but with spiritual progress. Um, You know, our love and kindness does have an impact on the rest of the world. And I learned to let it begin with me instead of looking for it from others. Remember, I wanted to have that approval and validation for others. But staying connected to my higher power has relieved me of that most days. Don't do it perfectly, but I see it now. And, you know, I'm giving and receiving love to our sons, and our now we have three grandsons. And it's such a joy to see our son sober and watching him to be the best daddy to his son. And, you know, I had nothing to do with that. Um, I, just, um, I just learned to love him, and my relationship with him changed. Um, he's on his own journey. I'm on my journey, but we're, you know, we're interconnected. We're interdependent. And it's equally joyous for me that God made it possible through the practice of the 12 steps for me to be the best grandma that God wants me to be. Um, he's, he's helping me to, to really enjoy that and embrace it. And, you know, things aren't the way I want them to be, um, and I'm learning to accept what is, which is the, the beautiful message of these steps. Most recently, God has helped me um, to work in a better partnership with my husband. I had an old belief uh, that was uncovered. Uh, I retired almost a year ago, and uh, this old belief that husbands are supposed to take care of their wives. They're not supposed to get sick, and they're supposed to be strong and take care of the house, the yard, and not be weak. I did not know that I had that belief until my husband had some health issues, which challenged my beliefs and challenged my way of thinking. I couldn't understand why I was angry at him. I did several tense steps about it. I continued to pray and ask God for help. God did reveal these old beliefs and attitudes, and I was amazed at my unrealistic ideas. But I'm so grateful that God helped me to see how I was out of alignment. I was out of alignment with his will and and seeing the vision. So in the past year, I'm so grateful that I have come to be a better partner. We discuss now how we can work together to get things done. My husband doesn't like having this health condition. You know, it's robbed him of his strength physically, and he's he. You know, it's been difficult for him to see his limitations and accept them. And I'm, you know, grateful that I learned to see that instead of being self-centered and how I thought it was only affecting me. I learned to be more compassionate, and so we're learning these new ways. I'm learning new ways to be of service to my husband, and we're even having fun and laughing about my learning how to use tools and lawn equipment. We just make jokes about it um, because, like, you know, we will jokingly argue about what this tool is called or what kind of a wrench this is (laughs) or a screwdriver. Or recently I said, I can't, you know, I'd like to do some yard work and some trimming, but I don't think I have the upper body strength to hold this gas-powered trimmer. There's got to be another way before I would not have looked for an option and you know there are other options out there that you don't have to carry things you can actually push a trimmer 
You know, it's like, wow. So I'm learning to have a loving, um, well, and I put, I'm learning to have, that I do have a loving, impatient husband. I mean, my goodness, he's overlooking and not thinking of himself and joining me in the partnership to, like, how can we work together? So he is showing me how to deal with limitations and acceptance of what is. I am learning that I am more capable than I thought I was, and I'm learning that we all need each other. We are even more connected, my husband and I, since I've learned to communicate my fears and my vulnerabilities with him. Remember, I'm coming from perfectionism, and, you know, I don't want to show you my vulnerabilities. And what was I so afraid of? Yeah, God has removed my fear and brought me closer to to my God of my understanding and to people around me. I am so grateful for my 10-step buddies who help me to see when I get out of alignment with God's will. I follow the steps to the best of my ability, progress, not perfection, and with God's help I'm finding spiritual progress. And I just want to conclude by saying and sharing um, to the newcomers on the line, it is a process. Keep trusting the process. You're right where you need to be. Um, I remember thinking, I don't want to be here. I didn't like where I was. I wanted to be over there um, with the rest of the recovered people. But it was part of my journey, and it's part of your journey wherever you are. You're right where you need to be. And, um, you know, I just came to believe that God's got me. God's, God's got the situation. He's got my journey. He's got the process. And I just kept trusting and listening to the people who had walked the same spiritual path that I was walking and it will come true for you and the promises will come true for you too and I just wanted to share that the promises are coming true for me uh, and I say coming true for me um, I, I'm having a new freedom from my old character defects when I practice these principles remember Michelle progress and not perfection my happiness is no longer dependent on other people and their behavior um, are my circumstances in life. I'm not I'm no longer in control. My happiness is dependent on practicing these principles. My past teaches me, but I let go of it and I let God direct me. My past so many times it would just get in my way and I would go back to thinking that's who I was. Um, when I keep the focus on my higher power and God directing me, I just need to do that one next right thing today in this moment. That helps me. I can learn from my past, and I'm able to share those lessons that I've learned from my mistakes um, with sponsees or um, when I'm sharing a 10-step. And when I do share a 10-step, it relieves me of self-pity, and I may be helping another person. Um, I'm grateful for the, the person last night. It was late, and she texted me, and I, I was having all these things rattling in my head, and I just texted her back. After trying to figure it out myself and praying and going through the process, hey, do you have a few minutes? And what a relief. You know, God showed me something that I hadn't seen, all, you know, by just going through the process myself. What a relief. I, I get out of myself, and then I can look to be helpful to others and not for any gain for myself. Most times, I'm still human. My whole attitude about life has changed. I see the world as a friendly place where others are there for me when I ask for help, especially in this fellowship. I'm also able to, you know, perceive reality and recognize the truth. That's helped to change my attitude. 
I'm losing my fear of others as I see us all as equals, one among many, not one person better than, not one person less than. That was what my struggle was before. I thought I had to be the best of the best or else I was the worst of the worst. Now I am one among many. Um, I am, you know, one among many, but I am one. And each of our voices are important. God comes in the pause. When I pause and ask for help, God has a chance to come in, and he does. When I seek him, he does come. He came in that pause when I felt so desperate that day, and um, he came in that pause, and he got me back into Overeaters Anonymous, for which I am grateful. God continues to come when I pause and I ask for help, and I get the wisdom to handle things which used to baffle me. Sometimes this wisdom comes from a fellow when I'm sharing a 10-step or I'm hearing someone online or we're just having a conversation or from my sponsee when we're reading, I'm like, wow, you know, or from a reading or reading the big book like that page, that sentence on page 64 just jumped out at me or doing a meditation or reading a daily meditation. But the wisdom does come, you know, the wisdom does come. The hope I offer is to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. I no longer ask, how can it get any better? God revealed to me, Michelle, that might be a slippery slope for you. And so now I'm embracing a mantra that I used to not be able to embrace because I thought I was kind of discounting all the goodness that was going on. I have a mantra of a friend, a dear friend in program, and she says, Michelle, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And so that mantra is now something that my higher power gave me when I was reflecting on that sentence on page 64. Don't ask, how can it get any better? Embrace that the best is yet to come. Because I have never, well, I haven't arrived. I won't arrive, um, you know, until I take my last breath. And so, yes, you know, as I enlarge my spiritual condition, as I improve my conscious contact with God, yes, the best is yet to come. And so I hope we'll end with that. And I I hope that I was helpful to someone on the line today. And thank you so much for this time to reflect back. Um, I know, Leah, you didn't know it was my anniversary month, but uh, God knew, and I'm so grateful to you for your service to my higher power and everyone who's on the line. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you so much, Michelle H. Yes, God obviously knew, didn't he? Thank you for your beautiful presentation this morning, and thanks for sharing your personal experience and insights with all of us today. Thank you so much. Michelle H., her contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this uh, presentation, so please stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to questions. If you have a question for Michelle, please press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself. Chris this is Janice from M. Okay. <laughs> <Can> we... <laughs> okay, Janice M., I hear your laugh. Okay. okay, who else? Chris G. Chris G. Who else did I miss? Marjorie. Marjorie. Anyone else? All right. Eileen M. Eileen M. 
Wonderful. All right, let's get start with this grouping. Janice M., go ahead. Well, good morning to you, Leah, and good morning to you, Michelle H. This is uh, Janice M. I just want you to know that, uh, you know, if you helped anyone, you certainly helped me. So I think that your goal is, uh, is has been attained, especially with my husband this morning. My question is this. And, you know, before we even, before this question come up, I said, gee, spiritual melody. Yeah, that's on page 64. But I want to ask you if you've had any experience like I have with people in OA, I mean, even leaders of the group that say, see, you have to, you have to do the steps first, and then you will straighten out mentally and physically. That's how they interpret that saying. First, you go through the steps, and then you will straighten out mentally and physically, where, of course, you know, I don't believe that. I believe, you know, like this for, you know, the doctor's opinion. So, I mean, I, how how would you explain it to some people on the line and if you had any sponsors? Please, thanks. Well, thanks, Janice, for the question. Um, I don't know if I can explain it, um, to be honest with you, and, and I don't mean to... Um, I don't know how that comes across, but I think for me, I, I'll, I'll tell you what happened for me in this. Um, I, you know, malady is mentioned several times, and I, you know, I, I, I came to understand that malady means disease. But I, when I looked it up, spiritual malady was only referenced once on page 64. And um, so for me, the malady, the disease um, <clears throat> that I hear about is, that, you know, I have this phenomenon of craving once I pick up, and then I've got the mental blank spot. And then, you know, step one, I'm powerless over it, and I I need to put the food down um, in order to make that connection because the only solution for me is a spiritual remedy, which these 12 steps offer. And my experience was that, okay, I was beaten down and I I put the food down and then I started embracing the steps. And I was told that, you know, by the time I was halfway finished with step nine, that, um, you know, I would be relieved. I would no longer be, you know, thinking of the food and thinking of it as a go-to like I used to. And that that's what recovered meant for me, that I wouldn't think of the food where it was always my go-to. It was always my knee-jerk reaction. I didn't even have to think about it. I was standing in front of the refrigerator. And and that that was, that I was relieved of that. Um, and then as I came to understand the spiritual malady that I'm never cured from is that human condition that I'm self-centered and selfish, but that the steps are my spiritual toolkit that spiritual malady that underlies, you know, that's underneath that underneath. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. I'm not, maybe I'm not understanding it, Janice. I know um, you always have a lot of good things to say. I don't know. Does that, is that a way of answering your question or did I not understand it? I think you understood it. Yeah. Um, You know, it's like, 
I just wanted to, you know, where it says, read, you know, it says the spiritual malady first and then, and then. So, you know, I mean, is that just an interpretation? But, you know, people have, have interpreted that, that do the steps first, but they, then that means that they exclude the doctor's opinion. Oh, that's, you know, and I'm just wondering, then they, they don't believe in the doctor's opinion. Oh, okay. Because the doctor's opinion says first, we have an allergy. Put it down. It's a block. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the disease, too. So I just did. Yeah, you did help. Absolutely. And I thank you so much. Well, thank you. Michelle. You're welcome. Thank you, Janice M., for the question. Chris G., your turn. Good morning, everybody. This is Chris G. in Connecticut, covering. And, um, Hi, oh, Michelle. This was such a powerful transmission for me of, um, you know, as I was listening to you, I really felt drawn in and I kept getting visuals of you with this little smirk on your face. (laughs) Um, I had a smile. (laughs) Yeah. And I just really felt that energy, that real pleasure of recovery and that freedom that you feel and just all of your sharing. I just saw, I just felt your smile. And so thank you so much for that. Um, And I, I am a newcomer and four months about, and um, I'm so grateful today for the abstinence I have and the program that I have and my sponsor. And this morning we were studying step three and I would like to ask you if you wouldn't mind um, giving some pointers on step three to a newbie. (laughs) What would you say, um, what would you most want me or any newcomer at that level to um, embrace and embody as you do? Well, thanks, Chris, for the question. Thanks um, Thanks for sharing how how you were affected um, by the message that um, reinforces that, you know, when I'm open, God can't speak through me. Um, I think for step three, the biggest thing for me is um, trusting the process. That was the hardest thing for me to do because I, and and still today, I want to try to figure things out. And that's code for I want to be in control. And so... (laughs) The biggest thing for me today is um, I just um, trust the process, Michelle. Trust the mm-hmm. process. And eventually that trust the process came to mean trust the power of your understanding, the God of your understanding. So that's what I would say. Congratulations. Um, I'm happy for you. It's like, wow, you know, isn't it amazing when we finally get here and we find that this is the answer and so I would say what helped me the most is to remember, Michelle, keep trusting the process. Keep trusting. Um, you, don't, you can't figure this out. Uh, so let go of figuring it out, Michelle. Just trust and let it unfold. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. A reminder for everybody to stay muted unless you're speaking. Thank you. Marjorie, your turn. Good morning, Michelle. This is Marjorie. Hi, Marjorie. I want to ask you about your use of Step 10 nowadays. 
and you spoke about how at times you will call somebody up to after you've um, done the 10th step to, to talk about it. And the big book's recipe for te- step 10 shows up in several ways on pages 84 to 86, and the recipe never changes. When you make use of the big book's instruction or the recipe nowadays to go deeper, what keeps you from, even while you're using the same recipe, from stagnation? Stagnation. What does that mean? What does can you explain stagnation? You mean not moving forward? If I were making the same um, meal, even if it were the same, if it if it was my favorite meal in the whole world, okay. But I make it often because it's my favorite. But I want to not get bored by even my favorite, oh. how do I make sure that I still enjoy it? Okay, I think I get the question. So in maybe maybe what I'm hearing is like what I experienced in the beginning was, um, okay, this is, this is, these are the steps, this is the process, this is what I need to do. And so it was like a checklist for me to think for of me for me to do, and this is what I must do. And um, I did that. I experienced that. And what happened to me in my experience was I, you know, the steps transformed me. I kept doing them, and my attitude changed about them. I didn't change my attitude. The uh, actual working and uh, the steps changed my attitude. Um, because see, at first I was—I didn't want to be vulnerable in a step ten. I didn't want to do a step ten. I wanted you to only see my good side, um, for fear that I'd be rejected. For fear, you know, what would you think? And what happened was, my experience was that um, that wasn't my experience. I wasn't rejected, and so my faith increased um, because I got so much good out of it. Once I let down my guard. Um, once I became real and shared what was really going on with me and just was honest, um, I got so much back. Um, just last night when I, I did this 10-step, you know, I prayed. I went through the process. I asked myself all the questions. Um, I prayed the resentment prayer and the fear prayer and the seven-step prayer, and it was still rattling in my head. And um, and so when I connected with this person and was going through the process of sharing and going through exactly that, you know, where was I, you know, selfish and self-seeking and dishonest and fearful, the character defect of judgmentalism came out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Here I thought, you know, it was all I could see was manipulation and control to get the other person to do what I wanted. But God wanted me to see my judgmentalism. And that's what was revealed to me. And when it was revealed, there was a sense of relief and peace, you know. And I went ahead and said um, the seven-step prayer again and the resentment prayer again, or the freedom from resentment prayer. So it, it be, what my experience has become, that it, it, it becomes new for me each time. 
and it's not stagnant. Thank you, Michelle. That really helps. Okay. Okay, good. Thank you for the question. Thanks, Marjorie. Eileen M. Hi, Michelle. This is Eileen M. Hi, Eileen. And, um, wow, thank you so much for sharing that really helped me a lot. I could, um, there were many common elements in our stories. And, you know, one of the things I really um, identify with the most, I think, is the, you know, feeling, um, well, actually discovering the beliefs. I, wow, I just, I uncovered beliefs that I've had my whole life when I was doing my fourth step. And when I'm doing these 10 steps, it's really amazing because I thought, wow, I never knew I actually had those beliefs and this is what I was acting on and um, you know when I was thinking about you were sharing like I really I have the one you know that I thought everyone else was responsible for my happiness mm-hmm. and that I was responsible for everyone else's as well mm-hmm. and um, you know when I uncover these things I'm wondering um, how did you let's see, when you do that, do you, um, when you recognize the beliefs, do you kind of write them out in a 10 step, like almost as a resentment? And then, cause these, it, these sound like, you know, lies that I tell myself. Mm-hmm. Cause that would be like that, the one about your husband, that would be a great lie that I could tell myself, well, husbands are supposed to not get sick. Mm-hmm. You know, like why do, that would, that could actually translate into a resentment because you might be thinking, well, why do I have to do this yard work? You should be doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be a resentment. And then I think that if the belief comes up then, do you ask your higher power to remove it as in, you know, step seven with the, mm-hmm. I'm, that's what I'm wondering. It's like, I would like all these beliefs to be removed yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, instantaneously. We want that instant gratification. Me too, Eileen. So is your question um, about the process then? My question, yes, I'm just wondering if you kind of, um, like, would you sit down and write them all out as you think of them and then kind of, you know, meticulously go through each one and ask for it to be removed? Or do you kind of just do it as they come up? Yeah, you know, um, thank you for that question. That's what I believe Step 10 does for me. They come up, you know, I'm feeling irritable, restless, and discontented, and I'm not sure why. You know, and um, when I'm not sure why, then I need to pause and ask God because I can't see. I, I like you said, I, I'm reacting blindly to this belief that's underneath, and then you know, God reveals it to me. So, yeah, it's taking time. Um, you know, my daily meditation. Um, you know, reading a meditation, journaling, things will come out that way. Um, doing a ten step or even listening to a ten step. Maybe someone else is struggling with the same thing, and they're speaking to me. My higher power wants me to hear that. Um, but, yeah, it, it is the same process um, because then I'm, I'm powerless over it. Um, I'm responsible for my actions. Um, and so, you know, once I become aware, you know, God gives me the awareness. I'm open to it. God gives me the awareness. I see it. I try not to judge it because I want to – if I start judging, I'm going to get stuck so um, I, I learned to look at this without favor, without negative or positive reaction. Oh, that's what it is. Now, I can't tell you that I don't always 
you know, react that way. It's like sometimes I'll I'll be like, oh, my goodness, you know, is that me? Oh, yeah, that's me. And um, so, you know, that helps, you know, that acceptance of it. And then, you know, with God's help, the action, God, you know, um, I'm a, you know, the seven-step prayer, you know, give me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. I'm I'm willing to give you all of me, the good and bad. You know, help me, you know, I just want to be useful to you and to others. Help me, show me, guide me, lead me. And, um, you know, and, and I stumbled through this <laughs> with my husband. You know, it, that itself is a process, but I was willing to take the risk um, and ask others for help, How you know, and, you know, and so we've stumbled through this together, you know, to find a solution. And um, so it, it, it's sometimes messy. That's when I say I want that immunity from life. I don't like messes. I never like messes. Perfectionists don't like messes. But it's, you know, I'm willing to accept the messiness um, because that's part of it um, without beating myself up. That's what I used to do. And um, so, yeah, you know, we continue on with the process, right, because step four and then there's five and six and seven. Did I do any harm? Yeah, you know, I diminished my husband when I had these expectations and um, the way I was acting. And so, um, you know, I went to him and talked to him about it, told him, shared with him what was going on with me, shared with him about my fears and, like, you know, who was I to say, you know, um, to have this holier-than-thou attitude. I don't know what the future brings, but, you know, God brought us together to be partners. How do I know that someday he won't be caring for me, you know? I don't know. And um, so it was a humbling experience, and these steps helped me to get there if I just um, implement them um, and ask others for help because I don't have all the answers, and that's where I can get stuck. Eileen, I can get stuck thinking I have to have all the answers, I have to figure this out, and then that's me not remembering I'm powerless. So, yeah, the process, you're right. Um, and I was, and so step 10 is when I'm starting to build a resentment. I can feel it starting to build. I don't have to keep building it, you know. Um, I can ask for God's help and other people's help to dismantle that, you know, uh, and go the other way. Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome. Thank you, Eileen M. Who else has a question this morning for Michelle? Roxanne T. This is Rita. I have a question for Michelle. Roxanne T. I didn't catch the next name. Rita. Rita. Okay. Yes. Anyone else? Kathy K. Kathy K. Carol G. Carol G. Excellent. Roxanne T. Go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Hi, Michelle. Uh, my name is Roxanne uh, T. in New York, and uh, thank you so much for giving us service this morning. Um, my question, embarrassingly enough, is to ask you to repeat yourself about something that you shared that I kind of miss and something is really nagging at me that you better ask her, you better ask her. And it was about the dash. You referred to a page in the big book where you read a line and you said that da- there was a dash there that meant something, and I'm a big, I love to study the big book, I love to understand it, so uh, if you remember what you were what you were referring to, I'd really appreciate it if you help me out uh, and repeat that. Okay, sure, Roxanne, thanks, thank you. Um, I was referring, I think what you heard, might have heard was the, my reference to the dash in step one, that, you know, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or, or alcoholic food, then dash. Um, my life was unmanageable. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. 
that's what I was referring to, and that it doesn't say, and my life is, you know, and because of the alcohol, not that my life wasn't unmanageable and the food was blocking me from my higher power, yes, indeed, um, but my life was unmanageable, like, you know, we hear people say on the line, when I'm abstinent, you know, um, so that's what I was referring to with the dash, and then the, the, the sentence that jumped off the page was on page 64, about when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out physically and mentally. Does that help? Yes, thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Roxanne T. Rita? Yes, hi, Michelle. This is Rita R. Hi. In um, Mountain Time, Albuquerque. And I truly love the beautiful unfolding of what the process um, really is. My question is, um, when I first came in program, it was identified as a threefold disease, physical, mental, and spiritual. And now, um, only on a vision is uh, it identified as twofold. And I was reading literature from other uh, programs and uh, with different focuses, and the literature still holds threefold, even away, um, 12 and 12 uh, identifies it as threefold. So I'm wondering where the spiritual aspect of it then, I don't know, lost, put aside, when it is a spiritual malady. So <laughs> if you could give me uh, some insight on that. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Rita. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I understand that. You know, I, I hear um, that discussion going on, and and um, I, I really don't know um, if I'll be able to uh, answer to your satisfaction. Really, um, for me, um, you know, this process okay. of these principles are spiritual, and so the whole program is we're told a spiritual solution. It's a spiritual toolkit, right? And um so my spiritual malady, uh, the way um it helps me, it's helpful for me um to you know, to break it down is the bedevilment and then the malady, the disease um of that I eat compulsively has to do with I do have a defective mind and body. I just do when it comes to food. And that's how I that's how it helps me. Um I I believe that the 12 steps are a spiritual way of life, of living, and it's all spiritual to me. Um but the disease, you know, I needed to understand that I didn't want to admit I'm not normal, you know, in body and mind. And um, and that's what that disease being twofold speaks to me about, that this disease, you know, when it comes to food, I'm crazy in the head, and I need to talk to somebody if I'm going to change my food plan because heaven only knows what I'm thinking, um, what my disease wants me to think, and that certainly if I ingest any form of my alcoholic foods, that phenomenon of craving and that cycle um, is going to commence for me. It's like I've heard a biological mandate. I It's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, it's spiritual. I need to be connected to a 
higher power. And, I, you know, I try not to get lost in um, that discussion because it doesn't help me. Um, but, I, you know, I know we want to understand. We want, you know, as a perfectionist, I, I want to know the way, the right way, the only way. And <laughs> all I know is that these 12 steps, as outlined in the big book of Alco- Alcoholics Anonymous, have spiritually awakened me. It is my spiritual toolkit. It helps me to get closer to my higher power. Um, and I'm glad you're here with us. I, I'm glad you're here. And um, I used, you know, um, those things can be stumbling blocks sometimes, you know. And um, so I hope we can come together and be united that we need each other for this process of, um, you know, becoming spiritually awakened. And, and Rita, I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rita R. Kathy Kay, your turn. Thank you, Leah. Um, thank you, Michelle. I'm so happy I was here to um, hear you today. I just um, so admire your program. Thank you. Your... <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, you know, I was as I was listening to you, I was really struck by how fluid your partnership with your higher power is that you make reference to your higher power often in all kinds of ways. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking not only for myself, but for my sponsees, um, how does that um, path and connection get started and how does it really deepen over time? And I'm thinking uh, if you could reflect a little bit on where you were when you started working the steps and where you are today and mm-hmm. and the factors that enabled you to continue to deepen, basically deepen step 11. I'm also wondering um, when you work with sponsees, uh, do you wait to step 11 or do you, as I do, ask them to consider building their connection with higher power early, much earlier in step two or three? And I'll listen. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks. Good to hear your voice. Um, grateful for your friendship and fellowship, too. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, where was I in the beginning? Um you know, I thought that I had a relationship with God, but my relationship was um, one of, um, like a child, like with Santa Claus, like, you know, God, if you love me, you'll give me this. <laughs> um, and uh, learning that, you know, God gives me what I need, not what I want, was a process. Um, and, you know, I mentioned that workshop, and a turning point for me was like, okay, you know, I think I believe, you know, I think I have a faith, and I'm just going to keep trusting. And I, I think I put my trust in, you know how they say sometimes you can borrow my higher power, you know, until you get a strong one. Um, and I think I was looking at other people and seeing that they believe so strongly in this process and that it worked for them. In the beginning, I held on to that because I really didn't believe this miracle could happen for me. I'm I'm 62 years young. <laughs> and um, I didn't believe after all my years of trying and putting, you know, my shoulder to the wheel that it was going to happen this time. But I trusted and 
I, I took a hold of their faith, and I held on to that for a while until um, I did everything I was asked to do. I did, I like you, begin to pray in the beginning because it just, you know, it was grace that got me to that meeting, you know, grace that got me back. You know, there, there's a higher power working somewhere. Um, so, you know, yeah, I start, and, and it's a little, it's little and it grows, and, and, and it's gotten bigger. And um, going back to that workshop, you know, going through we agnostics, I remember scoffing at that, going, oh, I'm not an agnostic. And um, why do I even need that chapter, you know? And um, and then it opened up for me, you know, thank God for, you know, phone meetings like Vision. You know, I would hear um, other people who were further, a lot further down the path than me, talk about, you know, um, what it meant to be an agnostic. And then the workshop of looking at my prejudices and, um you know, going through it and praying and asking God to show me, um, is there anything in here that I read that I have a negative reaction to that I just don't quite, like, I'm resisting? And that was really powerful for me, Kathy, because some things came up. And what I was resisting was that I could have my own concept of a higher power. I didn't really believe Mm. that, you know, because I thought that I was supposed to, I was no Bible scholar. I was not a theologian. I thought that they were the ones who were supposed to tell me who my higher power was. And when I read that, it was like it really jumped off the page at me. And it's like, and the big, you know, and it says, you know, that's all I needed. You know, it's, it's inadequate. No one's ever going to have, um, we've all got human minds, even theologians, you know, nobody's got an infinite mind like, you know, my higher power. So it, it helped me to see that, yes, I could have my own concept of a higher power. And that's what the folks here are saying that that's what they did. And so that was one of the prejudices that jumped out at me. There were a couple of others. Um, and then, you know how I think, um, I have a sponsor in another program, and she talks about she wants to have unshakable faith. And I thought, yeah, that sounds really good. How do you get that? And um, and what, you know, I was journaling one day and, and going through trials and tribulations. <coughs> like, oh, thank you, higher power. I get an unshakable faith when I'm shaken up by something that's going on in my life. And when the dust settles, I see that I've got a firm foundation and I'm still holding on to your hand no matter what has happened. It's like that's unshakable faith. And um, so that's where I'm at today. That may change next year when, <laughs> when this question, um, you know, is posed in a meditation or something. But that's what I've been given over this past year. And, um, and yeah, and I've come just recently in the past year to see my higher power as my best friend. You know, before it was more like a teacher and a guide, my creator. Um, but I'm really, um, and I don't know how that happened. I really don't. It, it is a mystery to me. I'm grateful. Um, you know, I'm I'm grateful that that is happening to me. And um, yeah, I just keep doing the process, Kathy. I do, and um, and and I know. I know you have a strong program too, and um, but that's that's what it was in the beginning for me. And then seeing these prejudices, admitting that I didn't have a personal relationship with God. I told you I did, but then I didn't know what that really meant. And I've I've come to see what that means. Um, really personal, really close. Um, God's really got my back. He's my best friend. Um, and recently, you know, a dear friend told me, you know, God answers all our prayers. He may say yes, not now, or often I've got something better for you. And I'm I'm holding on to that, you know, that God's got, God is my best friend. And um, when I'm not getting what I want, um, I'm trusting 
that God knows best, and that, um, and you know, just like with my son getting sober, I thought the only way he could get sober was through the trouble, you know, going back to AA. Um, that was a real revelation because my son got sober and he didn't go back to AA. Now, I would love it if he would, don't get me wrong, but God just was saying, see, Michelle, see, Michelle, see the miracles that I can work. You don't know as much as you think you do. And that puts me back in right position and just helps me to keep trusting. Um, Now, I don't know what the future holds, and that's why I just want to stay in the present moment. Um, I hope I answered your question. Yes, thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you very much. And our final question of the morning comes from Carol G. Good morning, Leah. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. It's Carol G, Compulsive Overly to Recover for today. Thank you so much, Michelle. That was absolutely beautiful to spend time with you this morning. Um, Most people, I think, have answered my question, so I'm going to ask it in a different way. Um, I'm curious, and others might be as well, what was it that you actually learned about the bedevilments on page 52 just recently? I mean, um, for example, if you were going to walk a new prospect through what you learned about page 52, the bedevilments, how would you explain that to us? I'd really love to know. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Carol. Thanks. Um, it's good to hear your voice. Um, how would I explain them? Well, that's the unmanageability. That's how it was explained to me. That's the that's what comes after the dash. Um, I was I learned that that was um, the unmanageability, um, the spiritual malady, and um, it's how self-centeredness and selfishness is manifested. Um, it puts it in concrete behavioral ways. Um, it shows me, you know, and then also that the promises. Right, or you know, if, if I've gone, I'm going through the process. I've, you know, I never quit going through it, right? Um, and so, as I'm going through the process, um, these bedevilments, um, you know, are replaced um, with more and more of the promises coming true for me in my life. And they're, you know, they they keep that's the spiritual progress. They keep coming true for me, and if I but trust the process, um, I, I, that will materialize for me, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, um, you know, that line in the big book. So that's that's what I would um, share. Um, and then what I was taken through was, can I personally identify with these? So here's a list. How How are they manifesting in my life? Can I make it personal to me so that I can see that, you know, I too have this spiritual malady, if you will, this unmanageability, um, and make it personal to me so that I can identify in. And then as we go through the process, the beautiful part is, now, how is my, how am I being transformed? How are these old ideas and attitudes being reorganized? How is this revolutionary change happening? How you know, by sharing, you know, okay, here's a promise coming true. Wow, here's another promise coming true. So 
<clears throat> I think that's what gives me hope. I hope that answers it for you, Carol. Thank you. Thank you, Carol G., for the question. Thank you to all who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to Michelle H. for such a rich and impactful and beautiful share this morning about the results of all your 12-step work. Thank you so much. And we'll close from page 164, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.